Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 104. Hello, hello. Today is June 15th, and it is also the start of NAP. Uh, so there's a health professions advising conference, also a student element, happening in Denver, Colorado this week. And that's where a lot of the MAPT advising team is. But Verenia Granham and I are here to answer all of your pre-med questions. It's going to be a good one. We'll miss Ryan and Scott, but we will take good care of you. Yes, uh, yes, Verenia yes. Granham. Hi. How are you today? I'm doing great. Nice to be holding down the fort here with you. Yeah. So Verenia, for those of you who don't know, uh, is the former assistant dean of pre-health and STEM advising at Hofstra University. Insert joke about Harvard of Long Island here. (laughs) Uh, How's the weather in uh, the New York metro area? Oh, it's balmy. (laughs) It's a nice warm breeze, um, but it's sunny, right? I can't complain. It's nice. It's very nice. And then in case you guys don't know me, I'm Rachel Grubbs. I'm one of the MAP co-founders along with Dr. Ryan Gray, who again is out this week because he's working a conference, but he'll be back next week. And I've been helping pre-meds for more than 20 years, lots of knowledge about the MCAT and the pre-med process in general. And then I have one other pre-med advisor announcement I want to make. Let me see if I can get my screen share up to show this real quick here. So we've been teasing for a while that there was going to be um, one more advisor joining our team, and we are ready to make that official. So I'm going to put this up on the screen here. Let me see if I can make that bigger. Uh, View slideshow. There you go. So... We are super, super thrilled to announce starting in mid-July, there will be a fifth advisor joining the MAP team. So her name is Courtney Lewis. Uh, She's based in Las Cruces, New Mexico. She is currently serving as the director of admissions at Burrell College of Osteopathic Medicine. And that is still currently her role. Um, You know, one of the qualities of people here at MAP is that we tend to care And Courtney cares a lot about the class of med students that she's helping enter school right now. So she's going to stay with her current school for another month to help wrap up this advising cycle and get those students into their white coats, into their orientation. And then at that point, it'll be a little bit more of a transition and she'll be joining us. And we're just super thrilled. Um, You know, she's got a deep bench of expertise. She'll be able to um, speak about osteopathic and allopathic medicine, but we'll have that firsthand experience at an osteopathic school. And um, she comes from, you know, she's lived in lots of parts of the world, but she's lived primarily in areas that are underrepresented, underserved. So from her own personal experiences going through education and also at her time at Burrow, one of her big missions has been to help um, put forward more representation. And in fact, uh, during her five years at Burrell, uh, she increased minority matriculation to over 20% of the, the, the cohorts. So 
Um, she's going to fit right in. She's completely part of the mapped, demystified, and democratized mission. I cannot wait for you guys to meet her. She'll be starting Ask the Deans in about a month. It'll be great. That's awesome. So yay, Courtney. <laughs> and if you're at NAP this week, you'll see her there. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right. I'll remove that. So let's get going. Um, just a reminder, if you're watching on Facebook, you can type questions and usually we see them. Um, but we do take questions from Facebook and YouTube. And sometimes those YouTube ones come through a little better. So if you're not... If you're not sure you're being seen, you can always try YouTube. And, you know, we, we tend to not get to everybody, but we'll do what we can. All right. All right. We'll get going. Alma Nieto says, I'm a non-traditional applicant currently working in public health. Should I consider a science class for a recommendation letter or will my employer's recommendations be enough? Rinia, what do you think? Yeah, this is a, this is a tough situation for non-traditional applicants, right, who maybe have been removed from school for a little bit of time and they're not around um, science faculty or they have not been in touch with a science faculty member in a long time. Um, should you consider taking a science class just for a recommendation letter? The short answer is no. I don't think it's something that you need to um, essentially pay all this money to get a letter for. I mean, if you want to retake a science because you want to and you need that kind of content review, then by all means. Um, but no, you, you shouldn't have to, um, you don't have to retake or take a science class just for that letter. And in that case, an employer's letter um, could be sufficient. You could also um, reach out to maybe a few of the schools that you're interested in applying to and see how they handle the situation. Sometimes schools understand and they'll say, okay, now we'll take a letter from, you know, an employer or a public health professor or whatever. But, um, but no, I don't, it's not something that I would say, go ahead. Yeah. You have to take a science class to get that letter. Yep. Um, and actually for anyone else who's maybe not in this position, who's still around science faculty, it's important to maintain those relationships precisely for this type of situation so that you, you know, um, down the road, maybe a year or two from now, when you're thinking of applying, uh, you've built up, hopefully you've built up a relationship with that faculty member so that you can reach out to them, keep them updated to, um, about what you're doing. Um, some of the time comes to apply, you know, it's not something that you, you know, you're coming out, out of the blue to ask for it. So maintain those relationships. Love that. A hundred percent agree. It's something a lot of pre-meds think letters of rec for med school are not like grad school. It's not one letter. It's not something you can scrounge up. Mm -hmm. I mean, not that grad school is easy to get into. I'm not trying to dismiss it, but with pre-meds, you should be starting letters of rec in the sense of thinking about who and building relationships your first or second year as a pre-med. It's a very early thing. And then you just do ongoing conversations. You know, they call it the loose hold where you touch base over email, you know, once yeah. a semester or so just yeah. to keep that relationship going. Absolutely. All right. Let's see what else we got. <clears throat> Oh, Ryan, I just saw Ryan typed in. This is Ryan. I'm sorry, I missed that earlier. <laughs> okay. having a, hopefully they're having a good time out there. I saw somewhere it's going to be in the 90s in Colorado. Yeah. TMW says, hi, I had to reschedule my MCAT for mid-July due to an emergency surgery. Oh. Bummer. I hope you're okay. Should I delay until the next cycle at this point? I know that's late in the cycle. Sad face emoji. 
What do you think, Brinia? Yeah, I mean, I, I would probably consider it. Um, number one, we hope you're doing uh, okay. Um, but maybe, you know, if you're still sort of post-surgery, thinking about retaking an MCAT, um, or, or not retaking, I'm sorry, thinking about like gearing up to take it again uh, or to take it now, um, this late sort of in the cycle, okay. it just seems like potentially it might be better to wait a little longer. What yeah. do you think, Rachel? Yeah, I'm leaning towards that too. I guess, T, what you don't tell us and you don't have to type it all in, just things for you to consider is where else are you with the rest of the application? Mm-hmm. Our big concern with taking MCAT in the summer isn't so much that it's completely too late. It's that it's very hard to do MCAT and do the application and do the application well. So if you had, you know, maybe already postponed the MCAT due to some other reason, but you've already put in your primary, you're already pre-writing secondaries, maybe it's going to be okay. Um, I also don't know how you're feeling with this emergency surgery. And again, you don't have to tell us, but if you don't have your health, you don't have anything, right? It doesn't matter how great the MCAT score is if you're not well enough to go to med school next year. So you just kind of have to weigh all those factors and decide, like, am I going to be able to put forth a really strong application, even with my MCAT scores not showing up to mid-August? Because you would want, you know, application in, verified. You would want all of your pre, um, secondaries Um, Not just pre-written, but once they're verified, you'll start getting them back even without an MCAT score because most schools don't pre-screen. So have all those turned around within a week or two. And you might be doing all of that if it's not done already on top of MCAT prep Mm -hmm. and maybe on top of healing for the surgery. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, my bottom line is I mostly agree with Ferenia. It's probably going to have to be next year. But if you choose to, to go against it, it's still your choice. Just make sure you've thought through the whole process, not just the MCAT. Yep, absolutely. All right, let's see what else we've got here. Ahmed says, I've had multiple internships and I attended the 10th and the 11th of the annual conference held where I presented my work. Do I describe them as one activity? How can I describe a conference? Yeah, so... um Sorry, I just needed to reread this for a second. Um, uh, so the question is, should they categorize like the internships as one ex- activity or in the conference as one activity? Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I think this is open for interpretation. <laughs> um, I think conferences, attending conferences is one activity. Um, mm-hmm. Whether it was one or two of the same ones, you can just list it as conferences attended. And then in your description, you would list when you attended them. Mm-hmm. Um, describing it, uh, we emphasize describe um, when you're writing your activity descriptions to write for impact, write to show what was the, you know, the benefit of this experience for you, what you gained from it, or, or maybe the impact you had on the uh, experience. But um, describe a little bit of obviously what the topic was of the conference, mm-hmm. um, but more so let the reader know what was, why was this beneficial for you? Why was this impactful exactly. for you? Yeah, right. It's all about impact. So um it might be that you do want to collapse them down because you may have a lot to say about a conference or you might not have a lot at all. Um, yep. And the way you worded it, it sounds like the conferences are tied to the internships. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have much to say about the presentations as a conference, maybe it is just a sentence in your internship description. Yep. Um, 
And you only you can decide that. There's no right or wrong here. Um, I would rather see 11 or 12 killer activities than 15 and feel like you stretched out for fluff. Yeah. So, you know, not every single activity is going to come with a story. You know, for example, shadowing usually doesn't have stories. It's usually just a list. But um, but don't try to pad it, right? M- make it its own activity if there's something worthy there to put. Right, right. And it looks like the, uh, Ahmed added a follow-up comment um, that it's two conferences, mm-hmm. uh, but attended in two different years. So yeah, you can list it as one and then yeah. um, in the description, state the, the dates when you attended them. Yeah, yeah, that definitely, to me, that doesn't change the question very no. much. Yeah. Um, okay. okay. Yeah, Hia says, I'm an international student planning to apply next year. Uh, is there any, wait, next year, any, I could, any, I'm thinking you're saying, is there any shadowing I could find, or I couldn't find any shadowing due to COVID, any advice? Mm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're looking. Well, yes, (laughs) I like that. Uh, I would also say, have you heard about Mm e-shadowing? And I'm looking for its banner. It's in here somewhere, I think. Okay, so if you go to eshadowing.com, we offer virtual shadowing. So um, during the school year, it's weekly-ish. Right now, we are in a little bit of a summer hiatus while we get our new schedule figured out. But if you go eshadowing.com, you can sign up for future shadowing sessions. And there's also a link there that'll take you to our archive of past ones. In-person shadowing is the best shadowing Everyone agrees that. Everyone knows that. So uh, we are not saying don't worry if you can't do in person, just do virtual. We're saying virtual is better than nothing. And virtual is excellent as a supplement to in person. So Yahia, I know it's really tough, but you just have to keep calling, keep emailing, get creative. Don't just try the hospital in your town. Try urgent care centers. Try the doctor you go to for your own health reasons. Um, you know, get really creative, try a lot of things, keep looking for that in-person opportunity. Um, and then also look into virtual shadowing so you can supplement a little. Yeah. Okay, let's see what else. Uh, oh, Srija, I hope I'm saying your name correctly. Uh, Srija <laughs> asks, what makes a student's personal statement stand out if their pre-med journey doesn't necessarily have a, quote, theme, end quote, like most do? Um, well, I'll start by saying not having a theme is a good start. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the, the, I'm going to think Verini and I are probably both going to have things to say here. But the big thing I say, and I've been saying every day for the last month while I've helped review personal statements, is the theme of the personal statement is why medicine. You don't need another theme. That's the question they're asking. The question is why medicine? And if you try to do some complicated thing where you talk about how music is like medicine or teaching is like medicine, you're losing the plot. Um, You only get 5,000 characters to talk about your life you're not going to tell your whole life story. You're just going to tell a couple key moments of your life story that help the reader understand why medicine. Um, Vrini, other thoughts on what makes a personal statement stand out? Um, yeah, absolutely. So, so I also wanted to to kind of make a little side joke here that the the pre med journey doesn't have a theme other than maybe just stress and anxiety and you know just trying <laughs> to make so it there. <laughs> uh, 
but um yeah, just to echo what you were saying, the, the theme is why medicine and, and mm -hmm. you and why do you want to become a doctor? You know, why do you want to pursue this career? Um, as far as what makes it stand out, being authentic to yourself, being true to yourself and really trying to um, hone in on what it is that's motivating you to keep moving forward. That's what's going to stand out. It's not the accomplishments and the other wonderful, you know, things that you've done. They're going to see that in your application. It's yep really um, reflecting on the things that you've done that have made you understand, you know, this in big capital letters, this is why I want to do this. This is why I want to pursue medicine. Uh, and that's something that's very personal to everyone. Right. So you just have to kind of figure that part out for yourself and be able to write about it. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Um, and uh, something I know Dr. Gray often says is common is not cliche. Mm -hmm. So I'm generalizing here. I'm, I'm admitting I'm generalizing, but speaking in a general tone, most pre-meds are smart, kind, kind of nervous people. You tend to like science. You tend to like helping people. That's all okay. We love all those qualities. Um, I mean, even the slightly nervous thing, because I want a doctor who's really meticulous, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's it's cool if you can learn to manage your anxiety, but if you if you worry about getting it right, that makes me think you're trying to get it right. Um, so a lot of the essays we read have very similar stories in them. There's lots of a grandparent fell ill, and that was the first time I thought about medicine. Mm -hmm. That's not cliche. If you're six years old, what exposure are you going to have to medicine if it's not yourself or a family member? That's right. just common. So the standing out for me is when you sound like a real human being, right? Like for me, Absolutely. the exciting essay, like, you know, if I'm if I'm reading 10 essays in a row, you know, because I'm doing it not just as an, you know, I'm not trying to just mimic the adcom experience. I'm trying to go above and beyond and like really give people feedback. I'm going to pay close attention to all of them, but it is like a breath of fresh air when I read one that just sounds like someone really talking to me, mm -hmm. they didn't, they weren't thinking about how can I sell you or impress mm -hmm. you? They just say, here's my story. Mm -hmm. And then I'm really engaged. Absolutely. So, you know, the turn to your best friend and tell her why you want to be a doctor and record it. And that's <laughs> a good rough draft on your essay. <laughs> good tip. Very good tip. All right, let's keep going. A common question. Serpentine mm. wants to know, is submitting your application towards the end of June considered late? I would say no, not late. Nope. End of October, especially since many of the schools have an October 15th deadline, late. Um, yeah, my rough rule of thumb is anywhere in, anywhere in June is fine. Yep. July is still maybe okay. Mm -hmm. And by August, I'm really starting to worry and I want to know what your exception is. I want to know why you think you still have a chance. Because you might, but I want to know what you're thinking that makes August okay. Yep. Okay. You agree with that? I All do. Right. Keep going. I will say we're getting a lot of here are my stats. Will you please analyze me? And this just isn't a really good forum for it. But I will quickly remind you guys that you can go to map.com and create a free account. And if you enter all of your GPA and activities there, we will take a look. And in fact, it's usually Verini or I. Sometimes it's Ryan or Scott. Um, maybe in the future it'll be Courtney. Um, <laughs> but so I, it, free GPA calculator is what's going under the um, thing right now because I'm looking for the right banner. Um, but if you go if you go to map.com and create a free account, then um, we can take a more in-depth look at your stuff and give you some feedback. 
And that's always included in the in the free trial. And it's also included in the pro level, but you get a free trial for at least two weeks. So as long as you kind of hop right on it, you'll be able to chat with us without having to um, mm -hmm. pay for the pro level. And, let me, and I want to also emphasize that for us to really give you good uh, feedback, it's not just your courses and your stats, right? We want to see everything. What activities yeah. have you done? True. Um, what's, True. You know, what else is going on? True. Yeah. Yeah. All right, I can make that banner go away. There we go. Uh, let's see, what else do we have? Chani wants to know, is it worth it to do all my prerequisites at a post-bac program rather than a local community college? Post-bac programs are significantly more costly than community college. True. Yeah. What are your thoughts here, Vernia? Yeah, no, I, I understand that the financial um sort of strain of, of something like this. But um, generally, especially if you've already completed your degree, you have a bachelor's degree, you want to try to take as, as many classes as possible on um, like at the four-year level. Number one, it's you'll have access to more upper-level science courses than you would on the community college level. Um, and and post-bac programs ha have um, a structure where you're allowed to kind of like bypass certain prerequisites because you know you've you're in this program and you're on this particular path so mm -hmm. um it's a little bit easier to get through those classes without needing like any other additional prereqs um but you know so that's the benefit of doing them on the post back on the post back level um but cost is a factor um, so I, you know, I think you have to figure out what's best for your situation, maybe just do a few um, at the community college level, maybe some of your intro courses, and then potentially consider the more advanced courses for um, the four year institutional institution level. Yep. yep. All right. Okay. Different faces. I don't know. Yeah. I just clicked a different one. <laughs> Let's see. Uh it's tough to manage banners and comments. Mm -hmm. I found one I wanted and I'm just looking for it again. All right, here we go. Leanne, Leanne Sarah says, how do med schools check the number of hours of shadowing and volunteering you have done? Oh, Leanne, it kind of looks like this. <laughs> I trust you. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> um, it's an honor system. Yeah. Um, and in fact, it's good timing because uh, that, that was a big question at e-shadowing. We were we were helping students track their hours and we've recently decided that we're going to just have students track their own because that's what they do for all their other mm -hmm. payment activities. Yeah. Um, you do put down a contact. You have to put down a contact with a real email and a real number. And I'm sure there are people somewhere who, even if they aren't contacting them or at least Googling them to see if they're real human beings. Um, so, so have something. And in fact, if you read the application handbook somewhere, it says if this is an activity that for some reason has no contact, list yourself, but explain why. Um, but it's very rare that, I mean, if you think about, you know, I think it was WashU, someone just listed their stats for their incoming class and it was 158 accepted students, but 8,200 applicants. They're probably not calling all 15 points of contact for all 8,000 plus content applicants. So mostly it is on our system. Yeah. And you know, I mean, that's life as a physician, right? Uh, over and over, you're going to have to pass a lot of ethics tests and mm -hmm. some of them will be checked and some of them will be on trust. And 
you know, what we've seen is that doctors that tend to not have eye ethics eventually get caught. So they're just, and I'm not saying this about you at all, Ian, Sarah, I'm just talking in general terms. Like there's just an expectation that you're doing the ethical thing. Okay, I'll switch our cameras again. Uh, let's see. Liv says, when we hear, quote, holistic approach, end quote, to check our application, how exactly would that be? If, for example, we have a very competitive application, but the only thing that would be a bummer is the MCAT score. <laughs> uh, Liv, there are a whole bunch of people going, relate, relate. <laughs> Absolutely. You are not alone, my friend. And some people are going, actually, my MCAT is fine, but I was a non-trad and my old grades are horrible because right. I thought C's got degrees. Right. Everybody's got a thing. <laughs> uh, what do you think about this, Ms. Frenia? Yeah. So, so the, the concept of holistic is, of course, to take into consideration not just the MCAT score, right? That's not the only thing that may potentially rule you out. Uh, it's not going to be the one thing that rules you out, essentially. Right. Um, what are the other components of your application? Um, what, what, what happened in your academic career that sort of provides a context for everything else that's going on. Um, so, so even if you have a lower MCAT score, uh, but you've got great activities, you've done really well academically. I mean, it's not, like I said before, it's not the one thing that's going to completely rule you out. Um, there is no magic formula that says, well, she's got, you know, a high GPA, but a low MCAT score. So, you know, the, the GPA is not going to outweigh that. Again, it's looking at the whole picture. What else have you done? What's your motivation for this? What, you know, um, so holistic approach means that it means looking at everything. Agreed. Yeah. And I guess what I'd add to that is if this were just about stats, the med school application process wouldn't need personal statements. It wouldn't need ECs mm -hmm. and it wouldn't need interviews. Right. You guys would just apply and yeah. they would sort everybody by numbers and then take the top 158 or however many classes they have, uh, spaces they have in their class, and that would be that, mm -hmm. right? So to some degree, you do have to trust that the med schools really are looking not just for stats, but for excellent future physicians who fit their mission. And so much of what makes a physician great can't be quantified in numbers because it's empathy and compassion and dedication and teamwork and cultural sensitivity. And that's part of why essays matter. And it's not, I need to write an essay about my bummer MCAT score. Like, no, no, just let it stand. <laughs> right. What you need to do is write some essays about who you are as a human so that they don't just think about you in terms of that number. Mm -hmm. um, and I know it's something that Dr. Wright often feels strongly about, you know, so if he were here, he would say, if admissions committee members don't want to be looking at every single applicant regardless, regardless of number, then they don't belong in the admissions committee. So there's, in the same way I was just saying a moment ago, there's an expectation of high integrity ethics for future physicians. There's also an expectation of high integrity for ADCOM members. They should be considering everyone. Absolutely. All right, here's a fun one. Come one cost 11. Can I call you Cam? Says, where is the best place to find online accountability slash study partners, mm. especially non-trad? And then I saw a little bit of an exchange in the chat that's that they're currently studying for the MCAT. Um, so the place I would recommend is the pre-med hangout, 
and I know I have that banner. I just made it. Where'd it go? Um, so pre-med hangout is the Facebook group that Dr. Gray started. Gosh, it's maybe been 10 years now. Here we go. So premedhangout.com. It'll just forge you to a Facebook group. Um, it is a private group. It's quite large. There's like 18,000 members. You do have to answer some screening questions. Every day I turn away dozens of people who think they can just click want to join and don't realize that I'm really reading those questions. So answer the questions, read the group rules, check the boxes, and then we'll let you in. And even though it's 18,000, a lot of people use hashtags and topics to make it smaller. And I just saw a post the other day that was, people starting to study for the January MCAT and they're already forming study groups. And I know there are people in there who are still studying for July, August, September MCATs. So, you know, there's a, there's a big enough group that you're always going to be able to find a small handful of people whose story matches yours. If you just go post in there and use some hashtags to narrow down the topics. So mm -hmm. come join us. And that's a great place to find study buddies for not just MCAT, but any test, any subject. Yep. Yeah. All right, Let's see what else. Liv asks, what do you think about the SMP special master program linked to medical school? Who would be a good fit, low GPA or a low MCAT? Hmm. Brittany, do you want to start by just briefly explaining for anyone who doesn't know what an SMP is? Sure. So a special master's program is a specially designed program for um, students who are pre-med and want to go on to medical school. You're taking pre-med courses, um, sometimes along with medical students. Um, and you end up, once you're done with the program, depending, you know, if you reach, if you meet certain criteria and you hit certain benchmarks, you can get an interview or potentially get admitted directly into their medical school program. Um, who would be a good fit depends on your situation. Um, so a special master's program, it's not a guarantee, number one. Um, it's not like a magical solution. <laughs> if you need grade repair, if you need some uh, additional content review to do better on your MCAT, um, it is a very structured program and it offers that, but you may not necessarily need to take a full special master's program. Maybe you just need to take a couple of classes in which case a post-bac program would be better for you. Um, so it's really not low GPA or low MCAT. It's more so what exactly is it that your particular situation, um, what, what needs to be addressed in your particular situation. So it's really looking at your grades, it's looking at your activities, it's looking at everything you've done, your MCAT score and figuring out what are the areas that I need to really focus on. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and I'll add, I have a little bit of a bias against SMPs. Mm -hmm. They're not bad. I think they're overrated. For one thing, yeah. they cost a yeah. lot of money, like oh, so much money. And maybe you have a lot of money and that's wonderful for you, right? I'm not, if you can afford it and that's not a reason to not do it, like just enjoy your good luck and your privilege. Um, but Sometimes it seems, and I live, you didn't say this, so I'm just speaking generally. Sometimes it seems like people are lured to the SMP because the school says, well, mm -hmm. I'm tied to this med school and I guarantee you an interview. And like, are you really going to pay $70,000 for one interview? I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, I think sometimes people think, well, it's an SMP, so that's going to make my chances better. But a lot right. of SMPs actually already have GPA and MCAT requirements. Yeah. Um, so, 
it's, I mean, like, I don't want to bum you out, but if you have a low GPA and a low MCAT, you may not even be a fit for the, some of the SMPs you're looking for. Um, the other side of it is, um, and I, this is sort of what Verini was getting at, is check what's actually going on with your application. Because if you have, I don't know, a 349 and a 508, yeah, your stats aren't the best, but they're fine. So my question is going to be, is this really a stats issue or should we be looking at how much clinical you got? Did you call something clinical that wasn't really clinical? Did your essays go off track and talk about why you thought about being a dentist a lot more than they thought about why you decided to be a doctor? You know, there's just so many things. So my advice is before you do an SMP, do an application renovation. You know, you can apply to be a guest on the actual application renovation show. You can sign up for one private with with us. I also think you don't have to pay, right? If you watch a bunch of the application renovation videos, then Dr. Grace shares enough of the general advice that you can then just take a scrutiny, um, scrutinize your own application and make some own decisions. So I'm not saying SMP bad. I'm saying proceed with caution. Yeah. Okay. All right. Dristen T, special shout out to Dr. Wright. We love Dr. <laughs> Wright. We miss him today. Um, if I sent a primary to a school but didn't submit a secondary, do I have to mark myself as a reapplicant? Yeah, I would say yes. Yeah. yeah. Because it's mm-hmm. not whether or not you sent a secondary, it's whether or not they right. got an application from you. Yep. And, Absolutely. you know, even if they didn't send you a secondary, right? That, like you, you're still on their record as having applied. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, that's easy peasy. Okay. Kowal wants to know, what would be an example of an adversity for an essay? Is it same as challenge? Yeah, it is an adversity. Yeah, go Mm -hmm. ahead. No, I was going to say an an adversity or challenge, it means essentially the same thing. Um, You know, was there a situation that you had to overcome throughout life, whenever it was? How did you deal with it? How did you grow from that experience? Uh, At least that's how I'm understanding the question. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I was like, are they asking to clarify something we asked before? I wasn't I wasn't mm. sure on the context oh, okay. of that one. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like you were able to mm-hmm. pick it up. Okay. David Jones, I'm sure you get lots of jokes about your locker at the bottom of the sea. <laughs> uh, I am taking my MCAT on Friday and plan to submit my app next week. I still have to take the Casper. When would you suggest is the latest date to take the exam so my app doesn't fall behind? And I think by the context of this, you mean Casper exam, right? Because it sounds like your MCAT is set. It's happening Mm -hmm. in two days. Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, typically we say Casper should be part of the secondary experience. So I don't think you are falling behind. Um, uh, You're taking your MCAT Friday. You said you're submitting your app next week. Um, those are two huge accomplishments. What I advise is after you do those, you allow yourself 24 or 48 hours to just kick back, right? Mm-hmm. Just enjoy that giant milestone and then sit up, get into gear, schedule your Casper. In fact, you may even want to schedule your Casper now because the dates are kind of limited. Um, you know, you can worry about preparing for it later because there's not that much prep. Um And then start pre-writing those secondaries. That's so important. So that by the time your app gets verified, you're ready to turn those secondaries around. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Let's see what else we've got here. 
Tamari wants to know, if I've matriculated in med school to Europe, would I need to get my transcript or just mark that I've matriculated? Uh, so the short answer is, please go read the handbook for the application service, because the answer varies a little for AMCAS versus ACOMAS versus TMDSAS. And anytime we're dealing with international stuff, there's an insane amount of nuance. And I'm always afraid if I give you the answer from memory, you're going to take it as gospel. Please go read the handbook. Just Google AMCAS 2023 student handbook, student guide, applicant guide. Yep. We're going to MAPT. It's saved there. Um, I will say from memory, I'm pretty sure that most international coursework does not require transcripts with the big exception of med schools. Hmm. So I think you're in a case where you're going to need to get your transcript. But again, please check me on that. Okay. George, Georgie, uh, I'm working on the COVID-19 essay. May I talk about the positive impact in terms of self-growth and helping people as a frontline worker? I feel that the essay wants me to address challenges only. Yeah, this is a good question. This has been coming up now that students are filling out their applications. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard a few that actually took this approach because they mm -hmm. felt like they were not personally, well, they were not personally impacted. Mm -hmm. um, in fact, they felt motivated to do something because so much was happening at that time. Mm -hmm. And so they took this approach of, you know, figuring out a way to get in there and help out. Um, yeah. So I, while it it does sound like the essay wants you to address a challenge, mm -hmm. um, it's it's definitely okay to talk about the positive aspect um, or the, not the aspect, the positive impact um, that it had on you, or it, you know. Right, and I haven't I haven't looked at that COVID prompt. I looked at it last week, but you know, mm -hmm. so it's been a week. I looked at it in a few days. I think it says something like. How did COVID-19 impact your journey to med school? So I don't think it actually says positive or negative. It just wants to know if yeah. it impacted your journey to med school. So I think a lot of people are internalizing that as I got kicked out of my dorm or my classes went to online or I couldn't get letters of rec because my courses were online and my professor said they would do letters of rec. Right. But, but it could be. Yeah. Um, I started doing more volunteering and it just confirmed my desire to be a physician um, you know, it like all essays, it needs to be authentic. Mm -hmm. When you read hundreds of thousands of them every year, you get a real good nose for this is a true story versus this is a story I think you want to read. Um, so I'm not now suddenly saying everyone should turn their COVID-19 essay into a clinical point 2.0 essay, right? Right. No, I'm just no. saying if that's your particular journey, I think you can talk about it. And there are, and there are some questions. They give examples of, you know, things yeah. like, did you have to leave your dorm? Did you right. have to, you know, those types of things. If that happened, then sure, write about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Let's see. T. Wallace wants to know, for secondaries, the adverse events slash challenging essays, should it directly relate to you? My wife was diagnosed with cervical cancer five years ago. I'm sorry. And we have had to adjust our life together, and it made us both grow. Absolutely. I, I, my, sorry, my instinct is to say yes. I agree. Because this affected you, too. Yeah. Right? You were right there uh, with your wife. Um, so it doesn't have to be that you yourself had to have gone undergone 
a personal situation, like experience or a challenge. I mean, this in, in and of itself was a challenge, of course. Mm -hmm. So yes, absolutely. Yeah, and to me, that's an important part of medicine because physicians mm -hmm. need to remember that it's not just the patient, it's the patient's family. Absolutely. No, I mean, my dad had quadruple bypass. I mean, he, he's still alive and kicking, doing great, but this was like 15 years ago. And he was divorced with no children at home. And they, some of, and this isn't to bash those health care workers. They just like, he, he wasn't admitting his life to them. So his grown daughters, i.e. me, had to inform the healthcare staff, he's telling you he can go home and he'll be mm. fine. He's not admitting to you that you've said he can't pick up a, a gallon of milk and he lives alone. <laughs> and they were like, oh, that's yeah. at odds. <laughs> Someone's got to pick up that gallon of milk yeah. for him. <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and like, you know, the, the physician team was more than happy to help us work out a plan, but like, you know, sorry, yeah. dad, I'm outing you, but my stubborn dad like, <laughs> wasn't into it. Right. It took another right. family member to make that plan. So right. I, I, yeah, I mean, I have firsthand experience saying, yeah, you were part of that. <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah. Oh, sorry, daddy. <laughs> you were stubborn. Um, let's see. Uh, Ulrich wants to know. I was a medical student in Africa, Cameroon, six years ago. Should I put my clinical rotation as a med student in my application? Hmm. Um, yeah, I would. I hope that you've also been able to get some clinical here in the States. Um, but um, sometimes we'll tell students who are doing like study abroad or shadow experiences, oh, be careful of putting clinical overseas. But what we're saying there, Ulrich, is like, don't tell me about something you did in another country that wouldn't be allowed here. But we also have med students in this country go do clinical rotations and get experience. So like, this is a case where I would say that that experience is valuable and I'm sure is part of part of your drive to be a physician here in the States. So yeah. yeah. But yeah, definitely. They're going to want to know that you've had some U.S. experience too, just because the healthcare system here is so weird. All right. I'm getting a lot of repeat people and I might call on you twice, but I just always like to see if I can get new people first. Yeah. Uh, Duke. Duke says, I'm a Navy vet applying this cycle, having issue trying to explain my duty and responsibility in the Navy to the work activity section. How should I edit? Hmm. Um, Duke, I'm not sure what you're struggling with, if it's because you have so many different responsibilities and activities that it's hard to put all that in 700 characters. Mm -hmm. um, if that's the case, you can certainly try to separate it by type um, or potentially, you know, this could be a most meaningful, I'm not sure, right? It depends yeah. on your own situation where you can just describe your different ranks or whatever in the military. And then in the most meaningful, uh, most meaningful part, go into a little bit more about what you did. But remember, it's not, you don't, you're not listing your responsibilities. You're not listing your tasks and your duties, right? You're, you're, you're approaching this, um, with an understanding that you want to kind of show the impact this experience had on you or that you maybe made an impact on others while serving, right? That's yep. the main thing and how to write about that. I mean, it's tough. You just have to kind of go through several drafts until you can kind of get hone in on that message. 
Yeah. Okay. We're not, you're not going to be able to list everything you've ever done. It's impossible. Right. Um, just think big picture. What was the meaning of this? Right. Yeah. And I'd much rather see only a couple sentences or even a sentence explaining what you did, mm-hmm. leaving you to have characters to tell a story that mm-hmm. shows me what you did. Right. So I don't, I don't need the full job description. Right. You know? Just right. pick a thing you did or a couple things you did and then talk a little bit about it so that I can picture it with you. Yeah. There you go. All right. Uh, uh, Daniel, denial, uh, came a little later, the live stream, but how do you view four plus MCAT retakes? Yeah. Uh, I mean, in a perfect world, we'd all take it once and be done. But if you didn't get it right the third time, then yeah, you take it a fourth time. Um, anytime someone gets beyond two, the first thing I tell them to do is to pause and step back. So if you're, if you are now looking down the barrel, if you, you know, I don't know your situation, but if you just got your third MCAT results and you're going, oh no, what I want you to do is not go run at the test again. You need to make a major change. I don't know what it is, right? Maybe you were working 60 hours a week and trying to study at night when you were exhausted. Maybe you've been doing passive content review where you stare at books, but you never do flashcards or quiz yourself. I don't know, right? And um, there are great test prep companies out there. We work with Blueprint, but there's lots of choices that will help you figure that out. Also, a lot of people in the pre-med hangout will help you figure it out. There are lots of people in there willing to share study tips. And you can ask 10 people for study tips and get 10 different answers, and they might all work for you, or maybe 15% of them work for you. So what you're going to have to do is reflect and then try some things out and see what actually sticks. Um, but but take your time. I mean, I've absolutely seen people get into med school on their fourth MCAT. It's totally possible. But, you know, you only get seven. So, like, take a break. Make sure the yeah. next one counts, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Our friend McKenna. Recently got a job as a fitness instructor. I saw that on your Insta, although it might have been on your Finsta. I don't know. <laughs> um, I get to be on both. Um, anyway, she says I should not try to link the district back to med. Correct. Yes. Thank you, McKenna. Yes. Yeah, and obviously fitness is part of health, but but being a fitness instructor is not the same as practicing medicine. Mm-hmm. So you can just list it as a great thing you do you know, to earn money, to manage your own stress, to manage your own health, to help give back to health. There's a million reasons that it's great to be a fitness instructor. You don't have to tie it to medicine. And I agree with you, you should not try. Yeah. That's a force. <laughs> Congrats on like, what is that? Your seventh job? <laughs> this woman works a lot. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> uh, let's see. Execration? cute little white puppy says <laughs> if I'm applying next cycle would schools see all my senior grades and activities uh well we don't know what year you're in so I guess maybe you're saying you're applying as a junior right. you're a sophomore now you think you're going to apply as a junior that's probably what you're asking me um here's how it works you typically wait and order your transcripts when you're done with the school year in which you're applying. So even though we talk about applying late May, early June, 
your school may or may not be done. Some schools with their quarters don't end until like June 10th or whatever. You can typically pre-order your transcripts and just mark them hold for spring grades. So schools are going to look at you with whatever grades you have for better or worse based on the time you apply. Now they will ask you what courses you're planning to take. And especially if some of those are pre-medical requisites, like you better take them and you better get your grades because they'll make their admissions decision based on what you've submitted, but they can withdraw acceptances if you don't continue to meet their standards. Um, I hope that helps answer what you're looking at. Yeah. Albert says, hello, how should we approach why osteopathic medicine essays? I thought about describing my experience with the PCP doctor I shadowed, but I already talked about it in my primary. Good question. Um, Albert, so you can still kind of talk a little bit about what you spoke about in your personal statement, in your activities descriptions, or sorry, in your secondary essays. Obviously, you're not going to go into as much detail um, as you did in your personal statement. Um, but the experience, it should, you know, the, the whole why osteopathic medicine essay is really to kind of gauge your understanding of what this field is and why you're choosing to do it. So if you can do that through explaining and, you know, talking about an experience with a doctor you shadowed, then, then use that experience. Yeah. Um, you just want to have, you know, maybe you have a different insight that you can share in the secondary that you didn't talk about in the, in your personal statement. Yeah, I agree. And I would say that's going to hold true for interviews too. Mm -hmm. um, don't assume they remember because even mm -hmm. if it's the same person, even if the person reading your secondary also read your primary, again, how many thousands did they read in the last month? Do they remember? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Um, so don't ever let a prior answer get in the way of the best answer now. And that's going to be true throughout your secondaries. It's going to be true throughout interviews. Um, so I do agree. You may sometimes choose to take a different angle, but sometimes the very best answer is the exact same answer. And I wouldn't even do the like, like I said in my primary, right. that personally doesn't bother me one because I have a tendency to do that. Like I tend to if I, if I know I'm repeating myself, I tend to want to sort of call it out. Mm -hmm. But some people read that as passive aggressive, like, oh, I guess I'll tell you again. So, like, <laughs> avoid the temptation. I, I have it too. But, like, just, just answer the question. Yeah. And then, I mean, there's a tiny possibility that someone's going to go, oh, yeah, no, I read that in your primary. I was hoping you'd tell me a different thing. And then I guess you, you think quick, right? But I bet you one out of a thousand times is the most that would happen. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just, it, yeah. we, I mean, when I read second round essays for students I'm helping, I go back and reread their yeah, essays. Because even to. if I mm -hmm. did it four days ago, I already don't remember who said what. Exactly. So I'm like, oh, you know, if I got to see student, student A's round two essays, I need to go reread yeah. her round one essays and see what I, what we talked about. Um, so I just, Absolutely. I don't think they remember. <laughs> Okay, it's 1.53, so we're getting close here to the end. We'll have time for a couple more. Sure. Um, Kyle asks, do high grades on high rigor classes make up for low grades in general science courses? Hmm, this sounds like someone who got a lot of a college admissions advising and is hoping that college admissions help applies to med school admissions. Yeah. I'm sorry, Kyle. It doesn't really work that way. I mean, you're you're kind of like halfway there. 
<laughs> what, what do you think, Brinia? No, I, I agree with you. It, I mean, you have to show consistency across the board. Um, we do talk a lot about having an upward trend, and sometimes this is essentially what happens. You don't perform very well in your intro courses, but somehow you pick it up, you turn it around, and you do better in your upper level courses. So, I, you know, it depends on what that trend looks like. Mm-hmm. It depends on, um, you know, did you get a D or an F and, you know, now you got a C? It's not, that's better, but it's not quite as good as, say, going from a C to an A. So it really, I, you know, it doesn't make up for it. You still still want to try to show some consistency, but if you've somehow managed to pull out an A, you know, um, I should I should emphasize though, you do have to retake any pre med prereq that you got a C minus in or lower. Yeah. So if you're below a C minus or a C minus or lower, then you do have to retake those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but a C, you know, from a C to an A, potentially. Yeah, and you know, I, I agree to everything you said. Um, and students sometimes get confused about prereqs versus just science courses. So, like, you know, and you said general science courses. So, you know, you might have meant that as a euphemism. But for for that year of bio, the two years of chem, the semester of biochem, the year of writing, um, any other course that a med school says this is a required course for you to apply. If you got a C minus or lower, you're going to have to retake it because they're going to read a C minus as an F versus if you get a D in art, well, that's a bummer, but you don't have to retake that art class because it's not required for med school. Um, So definitely keep that in mind. But then mostly what you're trying to do here is it's not so much about what's this number, what course makes up for what Mm -hmm. med school's really hard. Um, Like you do biochem typically in 15 weeks in undergrad and you do it in about two weeks at med school. So it's science is as hard as or harder than undergrad and lightning fast. So what they want to know is, can you handle academic rigor? So it's not so much about did this grade make up for this grade? It's if you had a rough time a few years ago, but I can look at your last four or five semesters and see that over and over, you've proved that you can take really rigorous science classes and crush them. Then I will feel confident that you are ready to handle the even harder rigor of med school. That's what you're trying to prove. All right. It's 157. Uh, I think we'll do one more. Sure. Ahmed says, should we include future activities in the primary application, especially if it got stopped or postponed because of COVID-19? So um, there's something new this year for AMCAS. Um, Historically, the application services have said it's fine to project your activities forward until time of matriculation. Most, Most USA med schools start in like July or August. So typically, if you're applying in May 2022, you could list an activity up until August 2023. This year for AMCAS, it's different. You have to list all of your completed hours. And then if you want, you can separately list projected hours. But what they don't want to see is, I'm going to do 2,000 hours of this, but it started June 2022. Because they're going to do the math and know. Well, you probably only did 40 hours so far because we're only a week into the month. So they're going to want to see, here's what's completed, here's what's not. Um, I will say at this point, not having clinical because of COVID, that that's not really in play anymore. It was it was a big, big play when COVID first happened and the whole world shut down. 
I do understand that it's still a lot harder to get clinical volunteering, but the world is desperate for clinical workers. So what it means for those of you that are saying I'm struggling to find clinical is you need to broaden your horizons and look for some paid work opportunities. And I know that's not always easy because maybe you don't have transport or maybe they want work schedules that aren't um, you know, reasonable with your, with your study load. So I'm not, I'm not trying to write it off like it's no biggie. I'm just saying clinical is expected. So whether it's paid or unpaid, you got to go find some opportunities and, and get that experience. And it's not just about for the med school. It's for you. You need to prove to yourself that you want to be a physician. They're going to ask you all kinds of stories and questions about why medicine. And if you don't have a rich bench of patient experience to draw on, you're not going to answer those questions in a compelling way. Yep. Absolutely. All right, friends. I think we'll quit it off there. Uh, sorry yes. if that seemed like a bummer. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, on, a, on a cheerier note, I did want to mention, um, this came out of actually out of some students in our application academy. If you're taking the MCAT, maybe this Friday or Saturday, or maybe later in the summer, and um, you want um, a little bit of help just managing your breathing and your anxiety, I'm doing a free workshop Thursday night that is specifically like yoga breathing with pre-meds in mind. Um, and just go find, find on Instagram, you can find it there. Um, I actually haven't posted it yet, but I'm going to post it in like a minute. So you'll find it on Instagram in a minute. <laughs> um, and you can find some more details there, but it'll be free. And again, it's just managing your breath and your anxiety for MCAT testing or anything that makes you nervous. Um, so that's not really part of MAPT. It's just sort of an intersection of my yoga yeah. life and my pre-med life. So <laughs> if that's interesting, go check it out. But still very beneficial. <laughs> Take care, everybody. See you next week with, uh, with the yeah. four-person full team in force. We'll be five in July. The big four Bye. or the big five tend to be. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.